McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 76. Well Pompey are back and the playoffs are at the end of this week. We're recording on Tuesday. We've got an awesome podcast for you guys to get you excited or nervous for the game against Oxford. Joining me on the podcast today is George Ellick from the, the Not The Top 20 podcast and the Going Up Going Down podcast for The Athletic. How are you George? Yeah very good. Very good. Nervous to be speaking to Pompey fans just a few days before the big day, but uh, no, except for that, I'm I'm okay. Well, I'll be honest, it's great to have a, a passionate Oxford fan who um, also is podcasting on the podcast, George. So um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries. I've, I've done a couple of these before, um, speaking to teams we're playing against uh, on their podcast, and normally it ends up going okay. I remember a couple of years ago speaking to the Newcastle um, podcasts and we were playing them in the cup and when I suggested that we might beat them they all laughed uh, and we beat them 3-0 so let's fingers crossed it's a repeat of that I don't think we're going to have quite that uh, conviction for this George <laughs> but we'll see we'll see um, joining me to co-host on the podcast is the regular co-host Freddie Webb how are you Freddie I'm doing very well thank you again nervous and excited for Friday it's going to either make or ruin my birthday the next day so that's going to that's going to go down well well, we'll have to celebrate after lockdown, mate, properly for your birthday. So cool, <laughs> yeah, you're missing do. out on that one. But maybe Pompey can give you a birthday present. But all right, let's get cracking. So, um, George, could you just give us a quick summary of what the expectations were at the start of the season for Oxford and, and how the fans feel about finishing fourth? Yeah, I think the fans are very happy um, with, with the finish this season. Last season was quite a strange campaign where, um, for the most part, it was very disappointing. Carl uh, Robinson was taking charge of his first full season and a lot of fans, possibly me included, um, saw our faith kind of wane during the season as, as it went on. But then in the last couple of months, we really kind of came to the fore and played well and pushed ourselves well clear of that of that mess at the bottom. So um, coming into this season, I guess the expectations were to build on that and and, and kind of hope for a, a playoff place. Um a few months into the season, that probably changed because we found ourselves in amongst that group at the top. A bit of a turn of fortune around January time when we lost a couple of key players, met me kind of came out of the playoffs. But then we had a really good run just before the break, which put us kind of back into the mix uh, for automatics. So I think everyone at the club is certainly very happy with with how the season went on the pitch. Very happy now with the manager. Um, and, you know, we, we certainly have a squad who technically um should be at the top end of this division yeah robinson's a great job with the team hasn't he going from <clears throat> a mid-table side last year to going on that amazing run uh this season and then getting into the playoffs 
do you think he could potentially be poached if, for example, Oxford don't go don't get promoted through the playoffs this year? Yeah, it's funny how things work like this. How you know, a year ago, um, I was talking on podcasts about how this was his last chance, and if he didn't get it right at Oxford, then was a League One club going to take a chance on him anymore? Uh, and now we're talking about him possibly being poached. I mean, maybe. Um, I I went and spoke to him before the Man City game in the cup um, for the Athletic. Uh, and interviewed him and I asked him kind of what his what his plans were for the future and he said he was very very keen to manage abroad which um, you know might surprise some people um, but he's he's certainly very ambitious and the crazy thing is despite the fact he's been managing for 10 years he's still very young um, and yeah, I think a lot of fans who only come across Carl Robinson from what they see and hear of him um, would maybe have a a bit of a warped understanding about him as a manager because he does talk a lot. I'm not sure he necessarily always knows what he's talking about or knows what's coming out of his, ma- his mouth when he is talking. But as in terms of a coach, the people who work with him uh, are very, yeah, they're very passionate about him being a very good coach, a very good technical coach as well. And I guess that's maybe the side of his management that, that doesn't really get spoken about enough. Do you think that um, extra technical coaching has rubbed off on the players? Have they improved a lot? I think it, it might be more a case of if you look at the players that he brings in, they're always very technical. I mean, certainly players like Cameron Brannigan um, have come on a fair bit under under his guidance. You're looking at Tariq Fossu, who was only at the club for six months before going to Brentford, and he's now starting on you know on the wing for a, a team trying to get their way into the Premier League. Shandon Baptiste is a player who we also lost in January as well. Who, you know, I'm I'm very very sure will play for the Premier in the Premier League soon with Brentford or, or not. Um, and then, like someone like Marcus Brown, who I'm sure we'll speak about in a second when we're going to talk about players of ours that that Pompey fans should be wary of. Um, we had him on loan at the back end of last season from West Ham, and he was just one of those players who was who was too good for League One. I mean, there was just it was just didn't make any sense that he was playing in the division. And then he went to Borough in the summer and for whatever reason, he just didn't play well at, at Borough at all. I mean, I know they've had a, a, a tough time this season, but under Woodgate, I think he got sent off twice and the fans really didn't take to him. So he came back to us on loan where again, he's just flourished. And, and it's that, you know, that ability to take these technical young players, Robinson's, um, you know, his, his history before the MK Don's job was being an academy coach. And you can really see that he invests his trust in these young kids who maybe just need a bit of an arm around the shoulder and a bit of a bit of faith in, in, in what they're doing. And that's why, I mean, we've got a very young technical team, which makes me a little bit nervous about coming up against you guys on uh, on on Friday. Do you think that's a, a sort of a top-down approach then from the club, a sort of an ethos, not just Robinson, but maybe a vision um, throughout the academy to a way to developing young players then? Yeah, it definitely is. And that came uh, long before Robinson as well. Uh, the, the best years we've had at the club in the last kind of 30 years. Um, some people will say it was coming out of the conference under Chris Wilder, but it was actually under Michael Appleton, your former manager, who um, really built a recruitment model at the club of bringing in young talent for cheap and then selling at a higher price. And that came through into the academy as well, where you've got someone like Callum O'Dowder, who came through, a local boy came through, who sold for a couple of million quid uh, to Bristol City. And when Appleton left and, and Pep Clotet came in, suddenly that um, recruitment model just seemed to disappear. And we were recruiting 34-year-old Brazilian left-backs and 
um, Gino Van Kessel, who scored one of my favourite ever goals, <laughs> despite him being terrible against Portsmouth um, at the at, at the Kassam Stadium. But he was, I mean, I don't understand how he did that against you guys because he was absolutely terrible. Um, Close his and, eyes and hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, I think it was actually just a terrible touch that took him away um, from, I can't remember who it was, which one of your centre-backs. But, uh, and so when, when Clotet left, I think people at the club realised that they had been onto something very good and therefore in recruiting the next manager made it a priority to get in somebody who had a history of bringing through young players and and Robinson was the manager who gave Deli Ali his first um first team football at MK Dons amongst loads of other MK Dons players at that time as well Will Grigg you know other players who went on to do really well he then uh was manager at Charlton when Adam Lookman was getting in the first team as well so you can see there that he's he's someone with a track record of developing young talent. And, and that's certainly, I think, one of the reasons why he was, um, you know, why we wanted to, why Oxford wanted to give him the job. And, and it's something he's really brought on here as well. And developing that young talent has, has literally led to goals, hasn't it, for Oxford this season? So um, Oxford scored the second most goals in the league, only trailing Peterborough and scored seven more than Pompey this season as well. Um, only conceding one more, I think. Uh, will Oxford head to Fratton Park with the intention of outscoring Pompey in their free-flowing attacking style? Or do you think they're going to be more cautious away from home? Because we all know it's up in the air, don't we, about does home advantage even matter anymore? It, it's really difficult because, uh, firstly, I mean, our, our record at Fratton Park in recent years is not good. Um, I remember there was one glorious day in the August sunshine, your, your first game down in league two and you sold out and we I think beat you four one. But since then it's been, um, it's yeah, that was in 2013. Was that um, game? yeah, so was I, yeah. Oh, <laughs> fair day for yeah. you than me, George. I, uh, yeah, I loved it. We kind of spoiled your party, but, um, <laughs> but it, but since then, you know, you've had, you know, a lot of time to, to get over, to get over that. Um, you know, even this season in the one all draw where we scored in the last minute, I mean, you definitely had the better of the game. Um, looking at the last two games before that at Fratton, both in 2018 finished 3-0 and 4-1. Um, and, you know, we in the 3-0, that was the game where Alex Mowat missed the penalty and, and Nathan Thompson um, shouted in his face and Mowat gave him a slap for his troubles and a red card. I don't think anyone's ever missed a penalty and got a red card within 30 seconds before, but um, that was not enjoyable. Um, but yeah, you, you mean your record at Fratton's very good against us. And I think in a two-legged game, it would be naive of of us to um come and try and dominate having said that there's a very clear way that oxford play football and that is trying to keep the ball high up the pitch with center backs who can play a bit um and you know basically defending with not with high fullbacks so trying to stay um you know, not being able to be caught on the break, but at the same time controlling possession and controlling the controlling the game. And I think it would be surprising to see us completely move away from that. So I think there'll be a balance to be found there as well. But in the last couple of years, our record in cup games against uh, kind of more better opposition, let's say, has been very good. So it's not a case where Oxford are a team who just dominate the ball against weaker opposition and then find it difficult against better opposition. Um, they're still enough flair in the final third I'd say to uh, to trouble uh, most teams so I think it'll be a little bit cagier than we than we're used to I think any personnel decisions in terms of whether they'll be attacking or defensive ones will be the defensive ones um, because the most important thing from our point of view is is making sure the tie is, is very much alive getting back to 
uh, Kenny back to Oxford. You mentioned earlier with um, Shandon, Baptiste and Fosso Henry have gone on to play really well for Brentford. Have Oxford managed to fill in their roles either in January or with some of the other squad players stepping up in their stead? Um, well, yeah, Marcus Brown's return was, was big. Uh, he's played kind of in both roles. So he's, he's played wide in a three and he's also played in a more withdrawn midfield role, um, which is where Sha- Baptiste and Fosu both played. Uh, Nathan Holland came in from um, from West Ham and made something of an impact, but wasn't quite as impressive as we'd hoped, but he's not eligible for these games. Um, the one player who's probably worth keeping an eye on is Ben Woodburn, who arrived at the club in the summer, uh, which was obviously seen as a pretty big coup given his standing for both Wales and Liverpool. Um, and... He was tidy enough early on, but got injured very, very early on. And again, in that conversation I had with, with Carl back in December, um, he, he told me then, kind of on the record, that Woodburn would be back in January. And that in his opinion, no League One club could possibly make a better signing in January than Oxford getting Woodburn back. He was like, we've already made the best signing in, in the league. And then a week later, his, his return from injury, uh, he suffered a setback. So we haven't seen him since. But he is now fit and he's available for these games. And that kind of ball-carrying ability through midfield with an eye for goal and an eye for a pass that Shandon Baptiste was so important with us. Um, I think Woodburn will be the player to bring that. Um, but we just haven't seen it yet. No, I've seen Woodburn play a lot for uh, beforehand Liverpool in the cup games. And he definitely seems like a very high-potential midfielder who could, who could basically do anything. He might, he might become a full-fledged Wales international and go even further. Mm. So that'll be something for Portsmouth to worry about. With with all your podcasting, with not the top twenty and appearances on Sky, you might have seen Portsmouth a lot. They could be a Jekyll and Hyde kind of signed at times, especially when it comes to controlling play and controlling possession. Uh, from the writing that I've done, Portsmouth usually play a lot better when they employ a high press. Mm. Would Oxford struggle if Portsmouth did that, or would they struggle more if they dropped deep and played on the counter attack a bit more? giving away my secrets there um i think we can be pretty assured that kenny is not going to be tuning in so yeah i I would i would say that suits you i think the way to get at oxford hope carl doesn't listen uh the way to get Oxford (laughs) would would be just to to press our center backs on the ball i would say um you know we've got john massinho and and rob dickey are our two center backs and they will see a lot of the ball and you'll see Alex Gorin, who kind of screens in front, and Cameron Brannigan, who's kind of the deep line playmaker. You'd see those two dropping in, collecting the ball, kind of moving it on very quickly. Um, but naturally, as good as Dickie and Massinho are on the ball, they both fancy themselves as ball players. They're centre backs, you know, they're, they're EFL centre backs, and pressing them would be um, the way that I reckon you will have success. Um, not dissimilar, I guess. You I mean Raggett and Burgess are obviously a brilliant have developed at least this season. I know people weren't so sure early on in the season, have developed into a brilliant back too. But I'd I'd like to see us, you know, get the ball at their feet and, and press them in a similar way because whilst there are no slouches on the ball, uh, especially Burgess, I think, you know, naturally that's the way you're gonna you're probably gonna get some joy. It's interesting picking up on Rob Dickey because um, he's been really solid at the back, uh, leading the team as well. He can pass, but also with aerials. Um, he, ch- he chipped in four assists this season as well. Um, do you think it's fair to say he's proved himself as not just a creation of playing at the back with um, the highly rated Curtis Nelson, who, who obviously moved on to Cardiff? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think he's he's better than, than Curtis Nelson. I mean, we've been lucky to have some very good centre-backs recently. We had Shea Dunkley, who went on to um, to Wigan. We had Jake Wright before that, who, of course, was kind of there at Sheffield United as they went from League One up to the Premier League. Um, and, in, you know, I loved Curtis Nelson. He was brilliant for um, for what he was, despite leaving the club, maybe in slightly unsavoury circumstances. But um, his physicality and his athleticism and his pace on the turn was such a big, such a crucial part of his defensive ability. Whereas in Dickey, you've got somebody who has lots of physical strengths, but technically is just much better. Um, he's so strong uh, in terms of duels, both on the ground and in the air. He is very, very comfortable on the ball, as I say. Um, you know, if you give him space to pick a pass, he's not just like a ball-playing centre-back who can move the ball quickly onto into the midfield. He's someone who can break the lines with his progressive passing, and that's very rare. So in terms of his um, his ceiling, it's much higher than the players we've mentioned because if he is taken on by a coach who will you know, encourage that ball playing mentality alongside developing the physical side of his game because he isn't the quickest and he is he isn't the fastest on the turn and that's why him and Nelson worked so well together. Um, but he has so many other strengths and he's developing so quickly as well. So um yeah he's it, it wouldn't surprise me, especially if if we come out second best to you guys. Um I, I think it's these are probably going to be his last couple of uh, performances in yellow, um which is a massive shame because it's been great to watch him develop. Yeah, he actually sort of reminds me of it, and not as much pace, but the way he brings the ball out is not dissimilar. This is fairly high, well, this is high praise indeed. So we have Matt Clark playing for Pompey mm. as well, but that just ability to break the line. And I think it's quite unexpected for some, you know, attackers pressing um, League One centre-backs. They don't assume they're just going to skip past them, find space and then and then create more for the midfield. So definitely, no, I, yeah, I've been really impressed with him. And it help, helps that Clark's left-footed as well. It was kind of the holy... Had had everything going for him, but uh, but good to see Clark progressing really well now after a, a, maybe a difficult start to the season uh, at Derby. But he's a player that I you know I really really rate, and I probably wouldn't quite go as far as saying Dickie's as good as him, but um, but yeah, I can see the similarities as well. Cool. Now there are a couple of more players in the Oxford team who you want to talk about before moving on to what Portsmouth can really do. Matt Taylor's been an excellent signing, see, seeming like he was. When he went to Bristol City, that move might have been out of his depth. Do you think the fact that he went back to his boyhood team and he could sort of go back to basics a bit, do you think that contributed to how well he performed this season? Uh, maybe. It's a funny one with Taylor because he, he, I mean, it was his boyhood team. He was released from the club at an early age. When we went to Wembley in 2010, he was in the pub, having just been released, he was in the pub wearing an Oxford shirt, pouring beer all over his head and stuff. I mean, he's a proper Oxford <laughs> fan. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, I was there watching him doing it, thinking like, you were released last week and you're absolutely loving it. Um, but I wasn't pouring any beer over my head, obviously. But um, he... Uh, yeah, you were. Probably. <laughs> he, <laughs> game. But he, um, he, yeah, he went on to, to Bristol Rovers and did very well. And then he nearly signed for Oxford um, a few years ago. And then kind of last minute to the U-turn and signed a new contract with Bristol Rovers. And Michael Appleton very angrily in the press came out and said, you know, we'd shaken hands and he's he's turned around. And a couple of weeks later, Taylor scored against Oxford at, at the Memorial Ground and then ran over to the corner and shook hands with his teammates. So that, <laughs> there was there was a lot of love lost um, between Oxford and Matt Taylor. 
And then he obviously did the dirty on Bristol Rovers by moving to Bristol City on deadline day. Um, so he's not very popular there anymore. Uh, but I think that the thing about his move to City was that he was brought in there to do a very different job to what he did at Bristol Rovers and what he's doing now. Like his his job there was was basically to be a menace at Bristol City. Um, you know, they're they're a funny team under Lee Johnson and they don't create many chances for, for those kind of strikers. Just look at someone like like Fireman, who's, you know, a very good finisher and I'm sure is a player who would score a lot of goals in the right championship team. But again, his role there is, is basically to run the channels, be a pest, run in behind rather than being that fox in the box. So I think the reason why we're seeing Taylor scoring goals again, you know, he was popular at Bristol City. They, lots of their fans wish he hadn't moved on. And I think there was a bit of a breakdown in, in relations between him and the manager. Um, but his role here is very different. Note, there's been some talk in in the press in Bristol City about Portsmouth being fairly interested in his um, in, in his signature um, in the summer, which would um, could add a little bit of spice to these couple of games if there's anything in that. But um, we'll have to wait and see and hope that he is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hope his head isn't turned in any way because he's been, yeah, he's been a revelation and to have. You know, a proper kind of prodigal son, somebody who played for the club and then totally screwed us over, uh, and then coming back a bit later on in his career to try and make amends and score the goals to take us up into the championship would be would be a pretty good story. No, no, fans always always get connected to the boyhood players, especially Portsmouth, especially as well with the with the amount of players who have come through the U Franks in recent years. One more player we have to mention. Exports of Simon Eastwood. He played for Portsmouth in the first League One season, I believe it was 2012-2013. Didn't really have a good spell. It was fair to say that people didn't rate him as much at Fratton Park, even though really they didn't rate many of the players at that time. Does Simon Eastwood stand up as a goalkeeper next to Alex Bass? <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, he it's, it's a funny one because he played for us before he played for you. He was our sub-keeper for a whole season and you know the thing with subkeepers, how you watch them in the warm-ups trying to save the substitutes um, shots and uh, he was like he was terrible like I remember every game we'd always be like let's hope we never have to have him in goal and he didn't make a single appearance for us and then he went to you and then he went to Blackburn and was their kind of subkeeper for a couple of years and I remember when we signed him back I, I was like I can't believe we're doing that, that is, <laughs> yeah like that is terrible and he's been brilliant I think he's just one of those keepers who whether it was his confidence or if he had to fill out physically, um, he's a you know a very different player to how he was eight or nine years ago. Um, he hasn't necessarily been as good this season as he had been in the previous couple. Um, a lot of people thinking when we were struggling towards the bottom end of the table that it was Eastwood we had to thank really for for keeping the relegation zone arm's length. Um, and so maybe it's just a, a product of the fact we're now better generally that he doesn't get the similar kind of praise. I mean, he's one player of the season at least once in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't swap him uh, in goal. Cheers. <laughs> no, I mean, can he kick the ball now? I mean, I think the biggest thing at Portsmouth was, and maybe you're playing short passes out to the back to play the ball out better. Because I remember at Pompey, he was told to try and punt it up front to the striker, and it used to go off for a throw in every every single time. I wonder if that's something that shattered his confidence, maybe playing with us as well. But is, is he just passing the ball out from the back now to retain possession rather than spraying it up front? A bit, a bit of everything. He's not, you know, he, he kicks long, he rolls it out, he throws it long. He's, it's, it's, it is very strange. I mean, I, because as I say, I, I saw him a bit, even though not in necessarily competitive games, and he just looks like a different person, let alone a different player. It's, yeah, he's, he's definitely, if there are any kind of young 
young 20 20 something keepers out there who want an example of of how much you can improve then um then yeah i think simon eastwood's a good example of it that's it you've heard it here bombay fans simon eastwood he's gonna he's gonna potentially shut us out um... that's not what i said (laughs) (laughs) um george you predicted pompey would win the league before the start of the season um how badly do you think they've underachieved yeah not great is it um although it's, it's the difficult thing with this is that basically since the end of September and in terms of points picked up, I'm pretty sure you're top, if not kind of second or third, it was just that weird poor start you had. Um, and you look at, I mean, what annoys me about Pompey is that if you look at your squad, I mean, you look at the players you have available, um, you know, I'm a huge, huge Ronan Curtis fan. So this is no, you know, this is not me in any way slighting his ability but the fact that he's a top goal scorer is just crazy to me, given the <laughs> other kind of striking options that you brought in over the last couple of years. Um, you know, you're the envy of so many um, other clubs. And I know that things have obviously fallen apart in terms of the club's relationship or Jacket's relationship with Pittman. But in terms of bringing in Marquis and then playing him as this kind of withdrawal number 10, I just don't really understand how that makes sense. Um, does. <laughs> I know and then because you, you basically brought in someone in Ellis Harrison whose job it is to be that kind of creative forward um so yeah it's I find the whole thing quite bizarre but I'm I'm definitely despite thinking that maybe Kenny Jackett's got quite a lot wrong this season he is a manager who is always you know I think Kenny Jackett's worst is still better than a lot of people's best if that makes sense um, there is a level of um, capability that he brings, which means that, you know, you and I are talking about how disappointing Pompey being this season. Well, you know, we're about to go into a playoff campaign uh, in a couple of days time, whereas there are a lot of clubs out there who have similar asp- aspirations at the start of the season, who um, have similar budgets, who are now, well, I was going to say they're now on the beach, but I hope they're not because they're not allowed to be. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I would, as a neutral and somebody who, you know, put my money where my mouth was as well with Pompey, it's disappointing. But at the same time, it's by no means a disastrous campaign. You sort of my, my next question out, out, you know, the words out of my mouth. But just looking at Kenny Jackie, he really does divide the fans. And, um, you know, some of them still really want him out. I know earlier in the season, um, a lot of Pompey fans were calling for his head, especially away from home. I Do you think, think that... Did at that point, I think... It, we we yeah. talked about this on the show with potential potential replacements and everything. The te- the tactical decisions and the play was that bad at that point. But do you think that if we don't get promoted or say we get um, outed very easily by Oxford in the first round, George, do you think that this is something that the club will look to get a new manager? Or do you think maybe this COVID situation means that everyone's been given a longer leash? I think the COVID situation might mean... I mean, I know that you guys obviously have an owner who, who's got deep pockets and it shouldn't matter. But I think if anything managers aren't going to get longer leashes they're going to be asked to take pay cuts it's going to be up to them whether or not they want to stick around um you see what happened with graham jones and with nigel clough uh, at luton and, and burton um so i mean all i would say to pompey fans who want jacket out is that you know i'm looking currently at your form since the turn of the year and you've lost four games and drawn one and whether you like the style of football or whether you think there is certain um kind of tactical aspects to Jacket's uh, team and the decisions that he makes that you disagree with. <laughs> it, the, the grass definitely isn't always greener. You look at 
how Ipswich have got a manager they've they've given with Premier League experience they've given a five-year deal to uh-huh. and they do not want him you look at Sunderland who recruited a guy in Jack Ross who was seemingly a very bright young manager from Scotland with this ridiculous budget and they couldn't get up they then replaced him as someone who's been there and done it and whilst Phil Parkinson was certainly turning it around you know it wasn't plain sailing it's, it's not an easy division and there are you know, and getting the right manager in isn't always an exact science. And in Kenny Jacket, you've got a manager who has got into the playoffs for the second year in a row. Um, in my opinion, it was absolutely scandalous that you couldn't get past Sunderland over two legs last season. Um, but, you know, it's his squad that he's built. And even though I disagree with the way that he's used your strikers, and I can't really work out how there isn't a more effective way to do so, the, the results since that poor run early on in the season, I, I don't think there are many managers who could have done that. Yeah, that, um, those scandalous games. I think we've all we've all watched them. Those playoff mm. games against Sunderland, they were, that was probably the worst that Portsmouth played all of last season. And yeah. It just so happened to be at that point where it mattered the most, which is the main criticism with some of the lot, a lot of the fans thinking, "Oh, we can't beat the teams that matter. We can go go to Tranmere away, beaten two 0 without any without batting a line eyelid, and then." not get the results against Fleet, for example. So that's mm. mainly some of the criticism that's been had. But honestly, I go back and forth on whether Kenny Jackie is the right man or not. And the main thing that stopped me and Hugh from saying he should be sat a lot of the time is the fact that there's no clear replacement who will do better. Yeah, I, I, well, I think that's that's exactly right. And you know, even if in your head you thought there was... An example, let's take Simon Grayson as an example. He was held up for about three years as being this kind of manager who you could bring in, he was a safe pair of hands and he would sort everything out. He went to Sunderland and bombed. He went to Blackpool and bombed. Blackpool, a club where he'd had such success before. So no matter how much you take a manager who's got this record and you tell yourself like he is somebody who will sort this out, he's someone that will improve the situation, it's just not that easy. Um, you know, it's horses for courses. We've been talking a lot on the podcast about Neil Warnock as someone who, you know, consistently gets results and he seemingly was doing it again at Barrow last weekend. But then I got loads of tweets today from Leeds fans being like, hold on, you're forgetting a pretty bad job he did at ours, which is like the the worst point they've had. So yeah, as I say, with Jacket, as I'm, you know, what I said earlier, his his worst is still a lot better than, than a lot of other league one managers' best. Um, and even though there are quite clearly shortcomings, you know, for for a big majority, you know, and it's going to be annoying. I'm sure there are Pompey fans listening to this. You're running out thinking, like, who's this Who's this bloke telling us not to? But, um, <laughs> yeah, we've seen, you know, when, when Pep Clotet arrived at the club, there was a lot of excitement and it nearly sent us pretty quickly down to League Two. And if you look at the teams who do get relegated, normally there's been a managerial change somewhere in there and it doesn't always go too well. Yeah, people, fans are always going to be divided, George, either way you go on that. I'm sure the uh, the cardboard cutouts in the North Lower are, at the moment are currently disagreeing with each other being set up for the, um, <laughs> set up for the game. So that's really a no-win no win, uh, question, I suppose, there. But um, have you seen uh, Burgess play a lot this season? And what do you think of him as a player? Um, uh, do you think there's any specific qualities that Pompey will miss when he leaves because he's going to Belgium next season? Yeah, it's interesting. We actually had him on on going up, going down um, quite recently. And I think he's a really interesting player because he, you know, he comes across as a very intelligent kind of studious bloke. And I guess that kind of comes across in the way that he plays football as well. He's not your usual, um, 
League One centre back. I guess he's in in a way, you know, he he does the dirty stuff very well. Um, but he's got a composure that I really like about him. And and I must admit that when I saw the news about him going to Belgium, um, I was fairly happy because I think it's maybe there's some significance here that um, you know, even though he's he's obviously got the dispensation to play in the games, uh, that he is leaving the club and he won't be there next season. Um, although I'm sure he would be the first to say that he's got some unfinished business and he wants to do it for the fans. But um, no, he's he's undoubtedly, you know, a very good player in my opinion and someone that that you'll miss next season no matter what league you're in. Do you think? Yeah, that, I think sorry, sorry, sorry you, no, no, um, it's uh, Yeah, I've, I think we're really missed Burgess a lot. It was revealed in the ports of news. Neil Allen went through the process of how Burgess wasn't given a three-year contract and that was a stumbling block for the. Um, for his move to Belgium, mm. with everything that's going on, should Portsmouth have offered him a three-year deal with a pay rise, like um, the Belgium team did? Or, as Neil Allen put it, is it too unrealistic for Portsmouth to offer three-year contracts to players, considering COVID-19 and so on? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's something that I've been asking a lot of people that I know in the game who, who know more than I do about the ins and outs of this. And I think, you know, they're, the reason why these playoffs are going to be very important um, for whoever wins them is that sadly the way that the seasons have been played out I think is just driving a wedge a further wedge between the championship and league one Um, and that is going to continue into possible revenue streams into next season as well because you know there's no guarantee that in September um, clubs will be able to have fans in stadiums and that is going to cause a big hole in revenue, even with iFollow as well. Uh, and you can see the financial difficulties of League One and League Two clubs um, just being further pronounced without you know the championship clubs getting a bigger piece of the pie when it comes to TV money as well. So I think for teams like Oxford and Portsmouth, it would be fairly, I mean, unless the, you know, Oxford, for example, um, gave a new deal to John Massinho today, which is not going to be financially very challenging, but a three-year deal for Christian Burgess trying to fight off interest from Belgium will be far more, um, will be a bigger financial burden and committing to that without knowing a, what league are going to be in, but then also what kind of revenue streams the clubs will have next season um, would be irresponsible to be honest, and I think it would be irresponsible for 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 club for these specific clubs, or basically any clubs in League One and League Two, unless you've got an owner like Mr. Eisner that you may have yourself, who is going to say like, right, I've still got my personal wealth, and I'm happy to invest in a way that will not breach FFP, but you know, support the club in that way. Um, if any club is looking to invest the club's money, that's going to come from revenue from you know match day revenue from next season. Uh, we need to wait and see what's going to happen because it's way too early to understand what the financial outlook, how much player wages, what kind of transfer fees, what that's all going to look like come September. Do you think the salary cap will be implemented implemented there next season, George, on the EFL due to these financial struggles? And if so, do you think the championship will be exempt from that? Interesting question. Uh, I wish you'd, that was on your list of, of ones I could have prepared for because it's a bit of a minefield. Um, yeah, sorry about that. It's right. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think very possibly. Um, I think with the championship, you know, a lot of owners in the championship are they buy clubs in order to in order to invest and try and get the club into um, the Premier League. 
And that isn't always done particularly sustainably. And it's something, again, that we've covered lots. Um, we did a special on it for Five Live a few months ago. And there, the EFL will undoubtedly come in for some criticism if they were to implement a salary cap in the um, in the championship. And the other thing to remember as well is that, you know, all these football clubs, as much as the EFL is kind of a, a governing body of sorts, these are all private businesses. And once you start telling business owners how much money they're allowed to spend on their businesses and how they're meant to run their businesses, it becomes very difficult. Um, so I personally would be very much in favour of a salary cap. I'd be very much in favour of, of basically anything to ensure the long-term um, stability of football clubs and the sustainability um, of the way that they are run because I'd much rather see uh, a League One or League Two club like Barry survive than enabling a um, multi-millionaire owner to try and spend X hundred million in order to get their club into the championship. But at the end of the day, it's just not that easy to um, it's not that easy to do for the EFL. So I don't know the you know the legal implications that could possibly happen, but I think both the salary cap and the possibility of championship clubs being exempt. Um, sound feasible yeah let's move let's move back on to the football so just quickly touching on Fleetwood versus Wickham we had um Alex from the League One Lowdown podcast on last week um he's also a Wickham fan he thinks that Wickham are you know you know pretty underrated in the odds against Fleetwood do you think do you think do you think (laughs) I know do you think that that's a um do you think it's a fair tie in that sense I think Wickham were five to one at one point um, I think that's quite outrageous considering the conditions that were going into these games. I, d- I don't really. Um, you know, as somebody who I've, I've worked in betting a fair bit and I would, you know, you're, you're very welcome to to think that the odds might be a little bit out, but they're not going to be um, outrageously wrong because they're moved by um, people who are much smarter than, than you or I and, and I can tell you if that 5-1 to one was was outrageously wrong and it should be 3-1 to one, then it wouldn't be too long until it is 3-1 to one. Um, with Wickham I, I can you know I, I know that people at the club certainly feel like all season they've um, been underrated I was told a funny story about Gareth Ainsworth um, having I think in the addition of 4-4-2 uh, in his study where um, Wickham were predicted to come 24th and what he didn't know is that actually Ali and I from the podcast wrote that um, which was quite funny so he was telling me this whilst I was being like oh right okay uh, without telling <laughs> him that, 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 that it was our it was our prediction but that, there's definitely I think that's been a driving force at the club all season a mixture between that and people basically criticizing their style of football um, I personally um, think that Fleetwoods are rightful um, favourites for the tie I think that Wickham are the rightful outsiders that's no disrespect for Wick to Wickham at all and I think that's the one thing that I, I find a bit strange is that me saying that I think Fleetwood are better than Wickham me saying that I think they are better shouldn't be that much of a surprise like Wickham have done an unbelievable job with the with the budget that they have like Gareth Ainsworth consistently does unbelievable things with, with the cards that he's dealt and being five to one to, to go through in the playoffs still suggests you've got you know like a 20 percent odd chance it's not like massively insulting um i mean having said that their form compared to the other three teams in the you know in the in the few months before the couple months before from january to march uh wasn't very good and you can't really dress that up any other way i know the home form held up to an extent but i mean i was at wickham tranmere working 
a couple of weeks before it all stopped and you know they won the game fairly comfortably but you know it it, it wasn't a particularly impressive performance um so i mean they deserve definite respect uh and it, i wouldn't be hugely surprised to see them get to Wembley and even and even go up um but i don't think they need to be too offended by the fact that they are um that they are the outsiders of the four no, I think that's fair enough. I think we all fancy Fleetwood to go through, but it's just interesting to hear if you thought they had a, a you know better chance than being advertised. All right, let's get to the end here, and we'll say, who do you think is going to advance from this Pompey Oxford tie? I think that Portsmouth are going to progress. Sadly, I'm a big believer in, except for seemingly Exeter City, I'm a big believer in teams who have kind of suffered playoff heartbreak at least going one better, having that experience uh, under their belt. So. Yeah, I, I reckon. I think there'll be good games. Um, I have a feeling. My only concern is that you might um, go a little bit too far clear. Maybe get come into the, the home game with a two-goal lead. Uh, and we might peg you back, but not quite enough. So that would be... If I was going to make a prediction now, I'd say 2-0 Pompey on Friday and then 1-0 Oxford on Monday. That's a, that's quite a cynical outlook. And I had that, but in the opposite way around because of, <laughs> because of many reasons. Obviously, Portsmouth, even though this has no bearing on this current tie whatsoever Portsmouth playoff record being absurd absurdly bad not winning a single playoff game in their history as far as I'm aware but no I think I think, I think both, both sets of fans will have that bit of cynicism about how well their team will do before going on into Friday yeah maybe right. I mean the, the other thing I would say is as I mentioned earlier on our cup record's brilliant so if, if that has any bearing here you know our, our record it, you know stepping up to the plate in in pivotal games has been really good you know even like we equalized against man city in the 50th minute it was absolutely insane um and put in you know we beat west ham 4-0 earlier this season uh, a west ham team that you know they brought haller philippe anderson um and someone else i think it was like 100 million millions quid worth of, of talent off the bench at 1-0 we beat them 4-0 so there's definitely something in this group where they won't they won't shirk the the big occasion um but i just have a feeling you know the way that I know it was Keith Curl rather than Northampton, but just the way that Northampton like came out of the blocks yesterday with so much to prove, I can kind of see uh, a reaction like that of from Pompey, where you know last year, especially given how heated the games were, that that loss over two legs to Sunderland would have really hurt. And there's been a year, over a year, because of what's happened, of waiting to put that right. Uh, and I just have a feeling we might be on the receiving end. That's interesting. I think Pompey fans, I'd say a lot of them are, are quite nervous, more so than they would be um, generally for other games. I don't, there's not too much positivity out there. I know you see that on social media anyway, and it's probably not reflective of fans in general. Um, do you think the Oxford, do you think Oxford fans are more encouraged by this and, you know, more hopeful of getting past Pompey? I, I think the, it's a fairly relaxed like mentality I, I don't think there's any expectation that we're going to I think there'll be disappointment if we don't but there's no massive pressure um I think everyone is I mean, the only issue is that we're going to lose certain players if we um you know if we don't get past this um and there's obviously a desire to do so but I guess there's there's less pressure but in, 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 in what comes with that there's also less to less to prove as well and less of an axe to grind so I mean, it could work both ways. A lot of amateur psychology going on here. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Definitely. Freddie, anything else, mate? Uh, not that I know of. I think, I think we've covered pretty much everything about the tie. As nice far one. As I'm aware. 
George, tell everyone where you can find you if they don't already listen to your podcast. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, so you can um, listen to Not The Top 20 and the Going Up, Going Down podcast on any podcast platform. Uh, or you can follow us on at NTT20pod or you can follow me at George Ellick on Twitter. Um, yeah, we cover all of the EFL, so Championship League 1, League 2. And if you want to tell me that you need to get jack out, that's where you can do it. Nice one. And uh, yeah, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic as well, I'll give it a subscription. I'm, I've done it for years, actually, following ice hockey, um, nice. NFL, etc. as well. So if you're into any other sports like that, it's a pretty good place to get your sports fix. George, no, I, I, you, you I can get half price as well if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20pod. There we go. Nice one, mate. All right, George, mate, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast, mate. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, and until next time, Pompey fans, play out Pompey. <laughs> You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.